Here we are now with chapter number, which one is it, 17? Yes, chapter number 17. Spring is now my favorite season. Chapter 17, the one right before, this chapter is right before chapter 18, if you're following along. In your copy of the book, which which I am presuming nobody is. And therefore, I am saying these words simply for comic effect, which I have no idea how effective it is. Page 311 is chapter number 18. So if you just turn to number chapter 18 and then move backwards, you'll be in chapter 17. And this series, of course, is Impressions. Of grace and grit. Ken and Treya are in Germany getting hardcore Deutschland treatment for Treya's cancer. And there are multiple rounds of chemotherapy that she's doing, and there are also other vitamins and drugs that she's taking, and as well as all that, there's also the radiation which she's doing. And it's quite a complex process because between each round of chemotherapy, she needs to have her blood count return to a certain level. And there's all sorts of things that can go wrong or right with that. So, broadly speaking... Trey is finding it that she can't actually do the rounds of chemo close enough together for them to have their full effect. And that's another thing, that's another factor, that's another component of this process, which is each round of chemotherapy is meant to be done very close together. Whereas with Treya, she's taking longer to recover, which means that they're further apart. And it's not all doom and gloom because during the recovery periods, well, she's allowed to go out. So Ken and Treya, they take a trip to Paris. How wonderful. And they rent a car and they're with their friends, some of their friends and family. And they get to drive along the countryside. And this really is something extraordinary, something magical for Treya because she's been stuck in that tiny hospital room for nearly over a month now, and, well, it's just beautiful countryside that she gets to see. And they drive through different towns, and one day it's Easter, and they see some people coming out of the churches. And they get to also have a look around at some of the different sites and the different places and the different tourist attractions as well. There's even a a place where... It claims to have the original piano, which George Gershwin used, played on, actually composed on. And there's also famous places like the Hotel Ritz, a very high-class hotel. And they're able to treat themselves. Well, Trey's friends treat them to a night there, and that's quite romantic. And... 
one of the, probably one of the main attractions for them, Treya and Ken, is Notre Dame. And this is really magnificent. This is a beautiful piece of architecture, according to Ken and Treya in this story. And Ken says, one foot step into Notre Dame, and you know immediately you're in a sacred place. And he says it moved him and Treya quite literally to tears. And there's something quite profound about that. And so much so far of the philosophical discussions in this narrative have been very much against the man in the cloud idea of God or the father figure with a beard in the cloud kind of I'm looking over you notion of God, the the traditional fundamentalism religious view of what God is. And yet Ken finds that, well, he does actually feel something when he's in the place that has architecture that's born from those beliefs. When he's in the place where it's really the culmination of those beliefs and those value spheres. And we can say that, well, he's a sensitive being. He's someone who is aware of these things. He's someone who's sensitive enough to go into a place, knowing the history, knowing the psychology, knowing the values, knowing the beliefs, and yet to still let the place affect him. Still be open to the experience itself as a one-on-one. And they also see some Van Gogh artworks. And that's also quite something for Ken and Treya to see. So they tour around a bit and they go into some Roman Irish baths. They see some music and they have a good time. But they do head back to their place in Germany, in Bonn. And when they get back, Treya notices that a piece of her jewellery is missing. And this is a special piece of jewellery to her. This is a star necklace. And by all accounts, it's the most cherished piece of jewellery that Treya has. And there's something that's... I mean, there's always this old cliche like diamonds are a girl's best friend. And jewellery is, well... And it's not to rule out that men don't wear jewellery. Men do wear jewellery. But roughly speaking, broadly speaking, it's usually the woman that's wearing the the jewellery. And also, well, traditionally, there's this one piece. There's always this one piece, whether it's a wedding ring or it's a 
piece that's been handed round down through the generations, or it's something that has been made specifically for that woman. There's always that one cherished piece of jewellery. And for Treya, it's this one, because it's a star. It's her name piece. And when she loses this, well, her superstitious side, which naturally gains power during, t- during times of crisis, frightened her. And she's aware of this. She knows this. She's able to watch these thoughts, but that doesn't mean they don't happen. She starts to think things like, well, does that mean whatever good luck I've had now is gone? Does this mean things will get worse? Does this mean I've lost my star figuratively? Because remember, Treya means star. Estrella, Estrella, in Spanish, means star. So her name is star. And she keeps worrying about it. And, well, how often can she worry about it? How much should she worry about it? And, well, the answer is that she's an aware human being. She has a deep sense of self-knowledge and she has methods at her disposal for dealing with these sorts of struggles within herself. And that is, well, that's the meditation structures that she's got, which help her to allow herself to let go of the desire, the clinging. She begins to see this quite quickly, actually, as an example or an opportunity to let go and to simply just release whatever clinging there was to that physical object. And she'd do all sorts of things, for example, visualizing the star in her mind, and then she'd multiply it many, many times, and then scatter all these shining golden stars far and wide so that others could benefit from their beauty. And then whenever she had an opportunity or she felt some sort of desire coming along, she would visualize giving that star to someone and visualize them having it, visualize them wearing it around their neck. And she noticed that this started to open things up to her other little things, which were clinging, like just wanting the last bit of cheese or the last glass of wine from the bottle. And this would trigger her to notice, oh, this is just another clinging. And she also combines this with the who am I inquiry, which allows her to dissolve the boundary of self and other and see that, well, if we're all one and we're all in this together, then there should be some way that I can allow this to occur and allow it to happen that benefits both so that we can both feel good about it. And she ends up finding that she feels good when she gives it to someone else. She feels good to give it as a gift to someone else. And this is a very interesting exercise for her. It's quite complex in many ways because it involves a visualization It involves understanding the other, it involves triggers, and it involves 
self-inquiry. And of course, Treya, well, she's got a high level of self-knowledge and self-awareness, which is how she's able to transmute this loss into something quite positive. And she ends up thinking that, well, actually losing this piece of jewellery has turned out to be quite a good thing because it's brought so much benefit to her inner world and her feelings towards others. And that really is something. And Ken, at this stage, well, he's sort of been going in and out all over the place and he's been telling all the locals about his story and why he's here. And it seems like, well, there's actually a bit of a following happening now. And some waitresses even <laughs> some waitresses even come and give flowers to Treya because they'd heard her story and they wanted to meet her. And there's cabbies and there's locals and the man down the street and I get the impression that Ken he's really sort of he's just really approachable and a warm, friendly guy. And maybe it's because he's not a he's not a He's not a German, and he's in a foreign place, and you have that advantage of, oh, you're from somewhere else. What's your thing? What's your story? Maybe, maybe not. But it's quite interesting to see that, well, everywhere these people go, Treya and Ken, there seems to be just something that happens around them, which is people become interested in them, people become very friendly towards them, And there is this funny side story of this guy who recognised Ken Wilbur from one of his books that was sitting in a window shop and he saw his picture and he thought, oh, you're that guy. And they talked to him for some time. And there's also this one man, the, the concierge at the hotel, who manages to really just help Ken in so many different ways. For example, one night, Ken decides, well, we've got some spare time and Trey needs to get out, so we need to organise, you know, just a nice trip away, a nice evening or two away. And this guy, Norbert, is his name. Norbert is the concierge, and Norbert just does it for him. He says, no problem, I'll order you the cab. I know just the right place on the Rhine to book you for. We'll organise everything. Consider it done. He's, a, he's the kind of man that is considerate done, Ken. And so, of course, for Ken to do all that, it's a bit more tricky because he doesn't speak German. And they have a nice weekend away. And it's quite romantic. And they can see various points of ruined castles and they take strolls along the streets and the weather is quite sunny and gentle and that is quite nice for them to have some peaceful time away and to have it as a bit of a holiday and Treya well she reflects on a few things And one of them is that she sees these treatments that she's doing as 
are sort of big gun treatments. She's noticing that this can lend itself to neglecting the all-important follow-up and the periphery or the additional treatments that she's doing. And in her mind, it's like, she's thinking like, well, well, I've done surgery and I've done radiation and I've done chemotherapy. Isn't that enough? And this is what she calls big gun treatments. It's the heavy stuff. It's the hardcore stuff. And she just notices this in herself. She notices that she does need to keep having her checkups and keep looking at her options and keep doing all sorts of things and also to recognize that that's not a fear. It's not an unfounded fear because remember that fear of someone with cancer, fear in someone with cancer is not unrealistic. It's not just negative thinking. And simplistic ideas about positive thinking lead her to deny her fears. Well, not deny her fears, but actually diminish her motivation to continue with the treatments, the follow-up treatments after chemotherapy. And that's actually a downside of, well, just positive thinking. And that's a careful nuance that she's aware of. That's a positive thinking trap that Treya is aware of and she's found within herself. Now, when they get back from their romantic trip away, it actually turns out that Trey has got a lung infection, which is nothing serious, but it is going to delay their next round of treatment. And the doctors are sure that she'll be fine, but it means a few days is going to have to be put on the rest, put her on ice for a few days. And during these few days, well, Ken's not allowed to visit because he's going in and out a lot and a lung infection is quite weakening of the immune system, so he doesn't want to give her anything. So Ken's got a few days off by himself to be in Germany. And he checks in with Treya, and she's doing fine. And Ken assesses how he himself is doing, and he's not doing fine. He's actually doing quite badly. And he's not ill. It's his inner world. It's how he feels about all that's going on and what the foreseeable future might hold. So he goes out and he says to Norbert, oh, don't, don't wait up for me because I might be out all night. And he takes the time to catch the ferry, 
And he goes up to this famous tower. It's quite a steep climb up, up to the lookout in this tall tower, but once he's up there, he can see all around. It's a magnificent view. And he takes the time to just think things through, to really assess what's going on and how he feels and all that's going on with Treya. And he's feeling that in the past few years, Treya has returned to her roots in the earth, her love of nature, the body, making her femininity. She's returned to her grounded openness and trust and caring. And Ken feels, well, he's remained where he wanted to be. He remained where he himself is at home. And that is the idea of, well, that is the world of ideas, of logic, of concepts and symbols. And in mythology, that's the world of heaven. So heaven is of the mind and the earth is of the body. And Ken took these feelings and things of the body and related them to the mind, to the head, to ideas. Whereas Treya took ideas and related them to feelings, to the body. And Ken is always moving from particulars to the universals, to the big pictures, from the details to the bird's eye view. And Treya is moving from the universals to the concrete, to the real, to the practical. Ken loves thinking. Treya loves making. Ken loves culture. Treya loves nature. Now, typically, Ken would, well, he'd shut the window so that he could hear the bark music playing. Whereas Treya, she would turn the music off so that she could hear the birds singing out the window. And this duality of these two sides, heaven and earth, neither one alone can capture spirit, only the balance of the two, which is found in the heart, can release the secret door beyond death and mortality and pain. And Ken realizes this is what they've done for each other. They've pointed the way to the heart. And there he starts to reflect on all this and it breaks him. It breaks him because he starts to realize that Treyer is going to die. And right there, he broke down into tears, sobbing, crying, weeping. That this woman that has done so much for him is going to die. And he doesn't know when he exactly first realized 
Trey was going to die. He wondered maybe if it was when the doctor told him that she had brain and lung tumours. Or maybe it was when the American doctors gave her six months to live without treatment. Maybe it was when he actually saw the CAT scans for himself. And horrible images of her likely future ran through her mind, his mind. Treya in pain. Treya trying to breathe. Treya hooked up to a respirator. Treya on morphine. Treya with her friends standing around, hopeless, helpless. So Ken goes down to check in with Treya again. And she's doing fine. He just says, hi, honey, how are you? She says, fine, sweetheart, it's Sunday, you know. So nothing happens around here. And she does mention that, well, actually, in a few days we're going to go over the results of the last treatment. And Ken just says, okay. But somehow he knows there's something serious in those results. And he says, Treya, well, if you need something, just call Edith or Norbert. I'm going out for some time. And she says, sure. And he goes out, just walking around some streets, and, well, he wants to find a pub, and everything's closed. And at this point, he's not thinking too much about Treya, as he is just wallowing in self-pity feeling like his whole life is in shambles. He's given so much to this woman. He's given up everything and now she's going to die. And then he hears some music from down the street. And he wonders, well, maybe it's a pub. So he goes on to walk down and into one of the only pubs that is open. And there he finds a whole bunch of old fellas. And they are drinking with rosy cheeks and have a, having a merry old time to some loud music. And a bunch of them are even dancing in a row with their arms linked. And Ken sort of just puts his head down, looking glum, and cries in the corner for a bit, until he finds that, well, there's a beer in front of him, so he drinks it. And then a few minutes later, another beer comes, and he drinks it. And after another few minutes, well, there goes another beer. And here comes another beer. So he drinks it. He starts to wonder, well, maybe they think I've got a tab or something. And at just the right moment, someone 
gestures to Ken in just the right way to allow him to join those men dancing. And at first he says, no, no, I don't, I don't dance, I don't speak German. But they keep gesturing and smiling. And he considers, well, maybe I should just run out of this place. But he hasn't paid for the beers. So awkwardly, self-consciously, he joins the men dancing. Arms around on both sides, moving back and forth, kicking their legs every now and then. And he starts laughing. And then he starts crying. And then he starts laughing again, tears pouring down his face. And this is a Satori experience for Ken. This is a breakthrough for him on all levels. And he reflects later that, well, he'd like to claim that his big Satori about accepting Treya's condition came from some Zen meditation center and involved Zen courage and it was this elaborate meditative course that he was going through. But actually, it happened in a little pub with a bunch of kindly old men whose names he doesn't even know and whose language he doesn't even speak. And that is a significant moment for Ken. And the next day, well, he wakes up and it turns out Norbert's taken care of him because he's come home so drunk. And the next time, actually, Ken sees Norbert, who's the concierge, who's been taking care of things at his hotel, he actually shows him something, quite curiously enough, to which Ken's response is, I don't believe it. Impossible. Where did you get that from? And what is it that Norbert is showing Ken? Well, it's the piece of jewellery. It's the star necklace that Treya has lost. (laughs) So he found it. Turns out it was in the laundry. And Treya had put it in one of her secret pockets because she didn't want to get it lost and she'd forgotten about it. And some of the laundry ladies had found it and then returned it to the lobby manager. And Ken, well, he makes a big funny thing out of this because he, he goes to Treya and he sort of brings up, oh, oh you remember how you lost that, that pendant and you got all superstitious about it and you thought it was a bad luck omen and all this? <laughs> and he says, well, how come you only believe in the negative omens instead of the actual <laughs> positive omens as well? Do you think they exist? And Treya says, well, no, I, actually, yes, yes, I believe, in, I believe in positive omens as well as negative omens. And at that particular moment, well, 
Ken produces the necklace and says, well, what do you think about that? <laughs> so it's a very funny moment when Ken reveals to Treya that, well, you got your necklace back after all that transformative work that you did. And, Ken, and Treya, well, she reflects and says, well, I actually have learned something from this. Isn't that funny? And then they have, well, it comes to where this chapter ends. It comes to the results of the test. And the truth is that Dr. Sheaf, the doctor of this clinic, is actually disappointed that the brain tumor is not completely gone. And he had expected a full remission after this first round of chemo. Which means if it's not completely gone after the third, he's going to have to use cisplatinum, cisplatinum, which is a very obscure drug. And not only this, but her immune system isn't bouncing back. So she's put on a high dose of anabolic steroids. And the dosage is actually it's actually what's normally given in eight weeks, and she's having it in just four days. So they're actually really starting to go through every option and really no rules, nothing holding back, whatever it takes, we're going to get Trey through this. This is the kind of situation we're in now. We're in Germany. We've got the best doctors We've got the best drugs. There's no limit on how much or how little. We're doing it all on our own terms. And it really is make or break time as she goes through this treatment. And Treya, well, she writes a letter to her friends to update them on the situation. And... She remains quite neutral. She, re she re Well, she discusses the both sides of her ins and outs and her ups and downs and the roller coaster rides and the will to fight and the will to allow. But really, behind that letter, she actually feels quite good. She still feels very moved to do what she has to do to get better, but not as a battle, not as an angry fight, not with an anger and a bitterness, but with determination and joy. And that's where that chapter ends. So... We'll find out what happens next in the next chapter. And that's all I have to say for now. <laughs>